Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here's where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now, here's Veterans Be Real. Because we are the brave. Yes, we are the brave. We'll fight you in the name of the brave. We are the USA. For those unaware, that flag is still there. It's our future to save. Stand of the brave, the USA. All right. Good morning, everybody out there, my Better Be Real listeners. It's Sergeant Be Real. I'm here today. I got John Troxton. Now, this guy, this is going to be the first for all of us because I'm telling you, I mean him just had a little conversation before the show started, and I learned some stuff. And I've been around the Army for 20 years, and yada, yada, but he's going to teach us some things. He's going to educate us about a little bit about what he did in the Army and then what he did at the end of his career helps out. So, John, I appreciate you being on the show, man. All my listeners are going to be super excited to hear this because you're a one-of-a-kind type of uh, guest, and I think it's going to be an amazing podcast here today. So, John, the floor is yours, my friend. Hey, John, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's truly an honor to be on your podcast. But brother, thank you for your service to our nation, not only through, you know, a body of work through a military career, but what you're doing now so much through your podcast, through your foundations and everything to give back to our veteran population and your support for our military and families. So it's an extreme honor for me to be here. For your listeners, my name is John Wayne Troxell. I just recently retired from active duty after 37 years, 10 months and 29 days of active duty. Not that I was counting, but my wife was reminding me all the time. And I retired as the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of Defense. I was the senior enlisted person in the Department of Defense. And a lot of people don't know that there is a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is the senior uniformed military officer in DOD that is above the Army Chief of Staff, above the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the Chief of Naval Operations, and all the others. And that chairman has a senior enlisted advisor, which is known as the SEAC. Uh, S-E-A-C is the acronym. And that SEAC responsibility is to build synergy amongst all those service senior enlisted to include the Sergeant Major of the Army, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, and all the other guys, as well as our 11 combatant command senior enlisted leaders stationed around the world that are responsible for day-to-day operations for the military. So I spent my last four years working for a Marine, General Joe Dunford, for 45 months of those 48, and my last three months for General Mark Milley, Army, the current chairman, and then various secretaries of defense to include Ash Carter, Jim Mattis for two years, Mike Shanahan, and finally Mark Esper. I grew up in the Army, joined in 1982. I was a 19 Delta reconnaissance specialist, cavalry scout. Like I said, I spent almost 38 years in. I served as a command sergeant major from the squadron level all the way up to my final position as a SEAC. I was a striker brigade sergeant major in combat, former armor center command sergeant major. I was the command sergeant major of all combat forces in Afghanistan 2011 and 12. And prior to becoming the SEAC, I was the command sergeant major of all forces in U.S. forces Korea. So pretty extensive career Been married for almost 37 years to my wife, Sandra. I have three adult sons. None of them are serving in the military. They are all 
have their own careers going and I have four grandchildren now and I'm currently retired and living in Lakewood, Washington. And when I got ready to retire, I wanted to be able to do something. You know, a good mentor of mine is a guy named Jack Tilly, our former Sergeant Major in the Army, who I know you know very well. I know him very well. me that, you know, if you want to retire and have a grind, have a grind. He said, but for somebody like me, he said, the best thing for me to do would be one, start my own consulting company, which I did, PME Hard Consulting LLC, but also do multiple things that will keep me busy and keep doing the things that I'm all about, which is supporting veterans, supporting our active duty and our transitioning service members, supporting military families, supporting Gold Star families, and supporting our wounded, ill, and injured, and continue to give back in that way so that I continue to have that purpose that I had on active duty, but I'm doing it from a different angle in terms of how I support. I'm not trying to circumvent any active duty leader right now in any service, but I'm here to complement and support what they're doing. And one thing I think that stays constant, even after you leave the military, that if you're a leader, people are going to still want you for that leadership kind of advice and leadership kind of discussions. And I do that all the time. So podcasts like this and others, I'm constantly doing them. Just the other day, I did a leadership seminar with the troops in the Horn of Africa in countries like Somalia, Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya, and places like that. I'm constantly doing things like that so I can continue to give back. So now I work for seven different companies right now. I work for FitOps Foundation. Seven. That's it, just seven? Seven. And I also sit on three other boards besides that. So you can really say I have about 10 jobs, right? So until he told me, hey, have multiple things that you're doing, you know, to continue to provide your purpose. I don't know if he meant 10 different things, but everything that I'm doing right now, I've always been a health and fitness guy. And so I support some organizations that get after fitness, most importantly, FitOps Foundation, Our main goal is to get after the veteran suicide epidemic, and our goal is to reduce that rate to at least the national average. Obviously, we want to get that down to zero because one suicide is one too many. But also, you know, FedOps, we develop and provide purpose to transitioning veterans through fitness and developing them into elite fitness trainers. So FedOps is something I do. I also work for Alpha Warrior 360 Gyms. I work for Defend USA Compression Gear that provides performance and compression gear for the military, law enforcement as well as, you know, John Q. Public. And, you know, I also work for an organization, Veterans Lending Group, that assists with VA home loans or for companies. I'm a brand ambassador for Hiring Our Heroes from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce that assists veterans in getting employment, transitioning service members and veterans and spouses for employment as they transition out. And I also am a consultant for a film company, Film 45, although we haven't been doing a lot lately because of the coronavirus pandemic. And then I sit on boards with the Patriot Foundation that provides scholarship to active duty service members, Allied Forces Foundation that provides purpose to our wounded, ill, and injured, and also Warrior Suicide Prevention Foundation, which also gets after epidemic of veteran suicide. So I'm doing a lot of things, staying busy, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And it also allows me to still have time with my wife, my kids, and my grandkids. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got your plate full, but I know that, you know, being up where you were and having that kind of like Sergeant Major there, I mean, Tilly, I met him a few times and you know, he got his coin, all kind of good stuff back in the day when I was a good old rock and roll soldier. But I know Sergeant Major Tilly and I know the type of man he was. And I know he was a mentor to a lot of us senior NCOs growing up through the military. You know, I think he was there. He was, yeah, so he's just been influential to a lot of people. I know he's great. So you're busy. I mean, you're busy. 
and that's great because I know, and that's one of the things we talk about when we transition out. And that's why I talk to the, you talk on the show about a lot is, and I'm a big, cause I, even Matt, after I talked to Matt Hess and we talked about fit ops, I had him on the show a while back. I actually went online and applied to go take the, you know, go do it. Even though I'm not, I haven't really done any PT since I got out. Thank God. But you know, I looked at it as I could learn and teach myself what things that Matt's doing from the physical fitness side, because I think a lot of veterans, if we would have stayed in kind of fitness kind of track, it would have helped with the depression. And so listen, a lot of guys out there know that I worked in mental health in the Army. I was in 68 X-ray and I did mental health. I was combat stress control, all that stuff. And I would deal with guys in theater about it. And, you know, we dealt with combat stuff. Combat, combat PTSD is a lot easier to manage and deal with than the depression side and the anxiety side and the things that start to build up on the PTSD side. So yeah, I know that physical fitness, so I'm getting guys back into kind of a PT type of regiment where they're doing PT every year or some kind of physical activity every day. It helps them mentally because now they can focus Focus on a little small thing like how many push-ups they're going to be able to do today or how many whatever or how many things yeah. they can express or whatever. But it gives them a mental strength to kind of stay focused like, yeah, hey, I got to do this tomorrow too. So boom, and I can get fit and I can be in better shape. I can look good. If nothing else, I can look good. My body can look good. I can feel good. So it gives them an out an out to stay out of that depressed state. So I push that really hard here locally because I got a lot of vets. Because Everybody out there knows I'm near Fort Hood and we all know Fort Hood's been having their issues, but there's still a lot of great soldiers that are here at Fort Hood, a lot of great veterans that live in the area. And there's a lot of veteran-owned businesses outside of Fort Hood. There's gyms. and all. So I've been working a lot with those guys that own the gyms like, hey, we got to get more guys in here. And I go to a lot of, I go to a lot of, you know, peer counts peer groups and stuff like that, PTSD, and I'm like, look, let's just all go to the gym. Let's all meet at the gym, do a workout. Let's get in the back and kind of our own, make our own platoon. We'll go do PT or something. Just, we got to do something to get us back in kind of that mode that we're here for each other. We're there. So even at let's go do workout, let's go for a run, whatever. So I'm big with Matt and with, with what you're doing for the fitness side of it, because I think that's a huge proponent for the suicide part. I yeah. don't think people realize yeah, so how important that is. Yeah. John, I'm glad you laid it out like that, because one of my you know key phrases that I've used for about 13 years now is PME hard, you know, and my, my consulting company is PME hard, but it's physically, mentally, and emotionally hard. The one thing I learned that the foundation for mentally and emotional, not just toughness, not just stability, but being hard, being, you know, the definition of hard, being not soft, not easily penetrable. And the foundation is the physical foundation. So now my PME hard campaign now is I've got a hashtag I'm using, get with the movement. And I'm focusing on veterans just getting out and doing some kind of exercise. I don't care if it's going for a walk with their children, bike ride, or just getting out and moving, you know. And I will even, you know, every two weeks I do a Zoom fitness session now that I invite a lot of people in just to get people together, get after this activity of physical fitness that will continue to build into this mental and emotional toughness and hardness that we need, especially, and you hit the nail on the head, you know, combat is one thing and PTSD and, and I don't like to use the D so much post-traumatic stress. Yeah, I, you know, and I think all of us that have served and have been in combat have some form of post-traumatic stress. And it's what I constantly talk about all the time. But when you talk about the other things like depression and things like that, that may not be driven from combat, but are driven from some other life adverse situation, we have to make sure we address that as well. So not just looking at our combat wounded, ill and injured, but also it's the general population. And I don't care how long you served, if you're a veteran and if you've never been to combat, you lose purpose and you lose direction like you had on active duty, it could potentially take you down the road 
that suicide is an option. So I think I absolutely agree with you. It's getting after the physical part that will assist with the mental and emotional part. And the thing I say all the time, the best thing we can do is be there for one another. And, you know, one thing I've tried to focus on ever since I left as the SEAC and I retired is that answering the phone when somebody calls. And I've had guys call me at two o'clock in the morning under the influence of alcohol. They got a pistol in their mouth and walking them back and then getting their families involved and getting them the treatment they need. So I absolutely agree with you, brother. It starts with the physical part and that'll kind of of get after the mental and emotional part. And in the end, we've all got to be looking out for each other because we're all in this together. And we are. And that's the big thing out there, guys. If you're listening to this, depression is like a sniper. If you have have PTSD because you've been in combat and you got guilt and you got anger and you got all this, because I, listen, I've talked to you guys about this before. I have a lot of guilt. I was a medic over there. I was a line medic. I ran an aid station. I had a lot of guys come. Pat Tillman came through my aid station, blah, blah, blah. So understand that guilt comes when you lose a battle buddy. Like even if you weren't, it, it wasn't your fault necessarily, but all of us second guess our decisions when we're in combat after the fact. Like in the moment, we just deal with it. We use our training. We get through the moment. We get them, get them medevaced out, whatever, blah, blah. But it's after the fact that, that guilt comes in. Well, guess what, guys? Guilt and anger and all that stuff piles up and leads to depression. And listen to me. And I suffer from depression very immensely because I – my PTS is a stimulant for that, but it's depression because of the guilt and the anger. So once, but see, once I identified that, it allowed me to have the opportunity to use those tools, understanding I have guilt, understanding I have anger. If some of my soldiers didn't do what I told them, and then they got out and they got hurt. They came to my aid station blown up or whatever, and I'm like mad as hell at them, but I'm trying to save them, and we're trying to do what we can. But the point is, I understand that now, and that's what I tell a lot of soldiers and veterans I talk to. Listen, just own what you're responsible for, for what you feel. And if you own the way you feel, you can combat it because then you'll do like John said you'll go out and start working out you'll do something to get your mind in a different place and get you structured back into the lifestyle you had before you were depressed and before you were having these challenges with PTS or whatever and it allows you to get control so it ties everything ties into that you see what I'm saying because depression is the most evil thing on the planet it's the most devastating and evil thing because when people have depression it's one moment to the next like right now I'm fine the minute I get off here John I might have a depression state and I have to learn how to cope and deal. it's like I learned my PTS I went to a retreat the next special operator is an operator special force guy that ran and he taught me to open up and trust myself deal with those things and when I did that, it opened. I opened up to my wife and told her things I never told her. And all of a sudden, I started feeling a little bit better because it was like off that shoulders, you know, all, it, it could start coming off. And then I started openly talking about how why I'm depressed because I'm angry or I'm guilty or whatever. And then also my life started to change. And I was like, not as depressed anymore. Not as my PTSD is way more under control. Now. I don't get angry and have rages anymore. So you guys out there listening, listen, serving in the military is a challenge in itself because the army brings you, the military brings you in, takes you to base training and breaks you down to nothing and then builds you back up into the soldier that or airman or sailor marine they want you to be right and that's kind of the challenge i talk about what we're talking with john we're talking all these guys about look military does not do a great job of giving us a basic training to get out they gave us a basic training to get in but there's no real like john's going to get into that story here in a minute i hope and he'll talk to you about how he had like 10 days to get his shit cleared and get out of the army blah 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 because he had duties he had to go take care of right but that's my point the last four to six weeks we're in the military there should be like a boot camp to train us to be a civilian like how to take an interview right how to write it's not taps and the taps does a great job trying to help us get our resumes and all that but honestly that's really not the most important thing it's the mindset of being a civilian the mindset of understanding civilian workforce and how they work compared to how we work right like when i showed up in 
in my platoon and I didn't see my uniform, everybody went to parade rest. Everybody, that shit don't happen in civilian sector, guys. <laughs> they look at you like, hey, dick, whatever. They walk right by you, whatever. It's not like that. So it's a mindset change, and they don't train us or prepare us to be ready for that. We have to learn it on our own or learn or lean on each other. That's why I'm doing this podcast is so that we can lean on each other and get experiences from each other and use those experiences to improve our life on the civilian side. And I want John to talk about that real quick. I'm going to say, John, listen, talk to us about your actual last 90 days in the Army and how that went for you. Because I think yeah. for veterans out there to hear how the most senior person in the military got kind of treated the same way they did as far as having the hardship to try to jump through hoops, I think it's going to open a lot of eyes and think, hey, I was an only need four. But fuck, does this SEAC, who was the senior enlisted guy in the military, had the same challenges I did. So let's talk about that, John. John, thanks. Yep. Um, one thing that is you know, probably the greatest attribute all of us have in the military is the selfless service that we do day in and day out, like you did for 20 years. And, you know, that a lot of people do when they retire. But I can also tell you, as, as you wind down your career, if, whether it's a first enlistment and you're getting out or whether you retire, the worst enemy you have is selfless service because you are steadily giving back to the institution. You're steadily giving back to the men and women. And all of a sudden, it's time to transition and you realize you just screwed yourself. So I'll give you an example, you know, and plus guys like you and I that spent a career in this, we were institutionalized about <laughs> living the Army values, being selfless in what we do and getting the mission done all the way until all of a sudden we don't put the uniform on. And I was about 90 days out after a 38 year career and I hadn't done a lot to prepare myself for transition. And all of a sudden I got a new chairman. General Mark Milley and a new Secretary of Defense, Secretary Mark Esper, the current chairman in SECDEF. And both of them were like, ACF, pack your stuff. We're getting ready to go overseas and see the troops. And, you know, <laughs> what am I going to say? I mean, selfless service. I got the senior uniformed officer and the senior defense official in the greatest military in the world telling me, hey, we got to get after business. Now, fortunately for me as a SEAC, I had a phenomenal NCO. That was my admin assistant, Sergeant First Class Chantel Dela Cruz Johnson, that made sure she balanced my schedule so that I could do the things I needed to do to get out and get the pulse of the force with the chairman and the SECDEF and also be able to do my VA stuff and everything. But I will tell you, 10 days before I retired, I was in Afghanistan. I was on a seven country, six day trip with General Milley, which culminated on Thanksgiving Day with President Trump in Afghanistan, in Bagram. And even the president said, hey, I hear you're retiring in 10 days after almost 38 years. I said, yes, Mr. President. He goes, excuse my language, what the fuck are you doing over here? He said, Mr. President, you know, the job is, you know, the job, we're selfless in how we do business. I would tell you though, that's not the preferred model of how to do business. And I tell people all the time, and like I I told you before the show, if people want to look at a bad example on how to prepare for transition, I am one of those bad examples because I did not do the steps. When I went to a transition course, you know, I had between, I think it was like 75 days left in the military and all of the people around me had about two years and some of them had three years. They were already preparing for transition. And I thought to myself, man, I am behind the power curve here. So my message to anybody out there in the military and more importantly to our leadership in the military, as much as we take care of our men and women and their families. And as much as we try to get them to re-enlist and stay on the team, and we applaud and celebrate when they stay on the team, you got to give that same kind of love to those men and women that say, I'm going to choose transition out of the military and do something else. That is not an act of disloyalty. 
That is a decision by someone who has served their nation honorably and is going to get out. And the one thing that I see that is a challenge is all of a sudden leaders don't give that same kind of love to the men and women in the military and their families who are deciding to transition as they do to those that are currently on the team and those that have chosen to stay on the team. When we talk soldier for life, airman for life, marine for life, whatever it is, then it's got to mean that. And we got to give the same kind of love to our transitioning service members, which is why I'm so excited to be on FitOps because we're an organization that one is going to get after you know, veteran suicide and the, the things that surround it, you know, the grief, the anger, the fear, PTSD, depression, and that kind of stuff. But we're also looking out for these transitioning service members so they retain that same purpose, motivation, and direction they had on active duty and are able to put it to use on the outside with a skill that is very marketable. So yeah, transition was tough for me, but I got it done. But I know there's an E4 out there somewhere that's going to transition and nobody's going to be looking out for them. And that's where the leaders cannot let them get off the radar and make sure they, and especially if they have a family, they are transitioning seamlessly. And that, because it's me, that always relates back to, that's why the E5, E6 level is probably the most important leadership level in the military. Absolutely. They're down there with the Joes. They're down with the Janes. They're the ones that are on the ground and understand those soldiers and their needs versus me as a platoon sergeant or me as a first sergeant or me as a sergeant major because they're there every day interacting with these guys and listening to their, their all their problems. And I tell I tell my young E5s that come in here all the time my nonprofit is like, look, just take care of your troops. Here's some ticket. Here, give them some food. Make, ask them questions. Talk to them. Find out how their finances are going. Find out because that's all stress and depression and da da. That's what all this crap leads up to when soldiers start doing stupid stuff because leaders aren't talking to them. Everybody's using their phones now and texting people and blah blah. blah. Sit down and talk to your troops. You know what I'm saying? And all you E5s and E6s out there, understand this. I'm telling you from my heart as a senior NCO in the army, you are the most important leaders in the army because you're the ones that are actually pushing the 70% of the soldiers are going through the army or through you. You're the guys that are leading them. You're the ones taking care of them. Yeah, you have leaders above you taking care of you, but you're taking care of the guys and the gals on the ground that are doing the work. And then when those, like John said, those elite fours are getting ready to ETS because they're like, hey, I can't do this no more, or whatever the reason is, you need to make sure they're prepared to get out, be productive and respectful and all that stuff, civilians, that they're ready to be a civilian, not just see you, you know what I mean, or, or have them pulling staff duty on our last day in the Army or some crap. Yeah. You got to make sure you're doing the right thing for them and prepare them to get out because this is not an easy transition. It's not as easy as people think it is. It's just not that easy. Hey, and John, I would just, to close out that point, I, I cannot overemphasize at least 24 months out, start doing the transition assistance classes. Start you know, utilizing all the resources that the Soldier for Life Transition Assistance Program and the other services transition assistance programs provide. And at 180 days out, if they're looking to get a benefits delivery at discharge from the Veterans Administration, they need to start that process six yeah. months out. Yeah, because the last thing you want to do is leave active duty, and then you end up in the pool of veterans that go all the way back to World War II that are still trying to get their benefits. Do it on active duty and get it done before 90 days out. Because between 90 and 180 days, if you're complete, and when you discharge, you're going to get your VA compensation. That, that was literally the only thing I did right. That was literally the only thing I did right is I did my VA stuff. So when I got out, I already submitted and I was good. And then a couple months later, my VA check started coming in. I was like, oh, damn. You know what I'm saying? But I had guys that got out and they were trying to do it after they got out. 
and they got put into that big ass pool. And there's some of them are even still waiting now. They have to keep resubmitting or have to resubmitting, and they have to show proof, and they got to find this. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> I'll give you a good example. The current Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, a very good friend of mine, Troy Black. His wife was an active duty Marine, and when she separated, she did not do her VA claim. It took her six years to get her disability rating completed because she was retired or she was no longer on active duty. So my point to all your listeners out there, sooner or later, this thing it all ends for all of us. And if you're not looking out for yourselves while you're still on active duty, and if leaders aren't looking out, as you mentioned, those E5s and E6s aren't looking out for those transitioning E4 and below, then we could seriously through them when they get out. And here's the other thing. The more we take care of our transitioning service members, the more they're going to be an ambassador for the United States military. They're going to assist us just by telling their story with our recruiting efforts. The more we don't take care of them, they will be a detriment to our recruiting efforts because they're going to tell it like it is, you know? So, well, it's, it's the whole concept, John. What have you done for me lately? So if that soldier got screwed on their way out, that was the last thing in their box. Absolutely. That's the only thing they got to talk about is, yeah, my NCO screwed me over getting out. He didn't let me do this. Da, da, da. No, no, don't go in the Army. Don't go into what. But if they got out and, so, and that NCO made every effort to make sure that kid transitioned out right, and get, then, yeah, he's going to go. And and, that, and I even tell the guys, go to your recruiting station when you get back because knowing those recruiters in your local area, as a veteran, will help you too because they might actually come talk. They might So they can make you kind of feel like you're still a part of things and you're helping, you know, re-strengthen your unit that you just left for, so to speak, or whatever. But, yeah, you're 100% right. That last taste they get in their mouth is – it could be detrimental or it could be fantastic for us as a military because then we're also going to get good soldiers that come in and not the ones that are all in there, whatever. We'll get the ones that are motivated to come in because this guy's going to go back to that high school and talk to those kids and tell them, hey, I had a great experience. They took care of me all the way out. I mean, in and out. I only did four years, but X, Y, and Z happened. I deployed, then I got excited. I don't do that anymore. But then they helped me transition out and get a job and helped me make sure I was successful when I got out. So yeah, the Army was great. And that's only going to help us. You're 100% correct there for sure. And you know, everybody out there listening, that just came from the senior enlisted guy in the military. He still recognizes that that's the kind of important things that we have to do as leaders at the ground level is to manage our soldiers from start to finish and do the right thing and take care of them. Like literally, my last day in the Army, I was writing a 4856 on one of my NCOs because he missed, you know, and I'm still doing my job and making sure he understood that this kind of behavior can't be intolerable. You got to get your stuff straightened up. That was my last day in the Army. I've had him sign and I handed it right to my replacement. I said, hey, look, he's got to get counsel on this, you know. So, but it, on the way out, you got to do the right things. You still got to do the right yeah. things. As a soldier, you got to do the right things. You got to show up on time and do the right thing. You have responsibilities too out there to make sure you're at your appointments and do things and don't cause problems for your NCO while you're getting out. So, you got to make sure you're being vigilant and making sure you keep that NCO in the loop that you're, you're doing doing but yeah all right so you know talking about that stuff i think you know all of us as leaders we need to understand that it's our responsibility to take care of our soldiers veterans our soldiers marines sailors airmen whatever it's our responsibility to do that and part of your responsibility is to make sure they transition out properly right so just if you're listening out there and you're on, you know, on active duty right now and you've got soldiers under your sailors marine whatever do right by them even if they weren't the best soldier for you it's not about that it's about you doing the right thing as an nco and pushing those guys out the proper way so they don't become a, a burden to society now even though they might have been a burden to you a little bit we don't want to be a burden to society and turn into a criminal or some crazy stuff you know taking down the wrong path so treat them right on the way out plus like john said It'll only advocate to get better soldiers in to replace that one when the next one comes in. So that's what we got to hope. Hey, John, can I read the old behavioral health, mental health stuff? Of course, yeah. I'd love to hear your So, you know, I, I just want to tell 
my personal story. So I first went to combat in 1989. I parachuted into Operation Just Cause. It then went to Desert Shield, Desert Storm after that. And then two tours in Iraqi freedom and one in Enduring Freedom. And, you know, for 30 years, I just thought I was an angry dude, you know, which is what Sergeant Majors are supposed to be, right? <laughs> you know, and what I didn't realize was that I was suffering from post-traumatic stress. It wasn't a disorder. I was fully functioning, but I was just angry all the time. And that anger was driven by grief, grief from losing men and women in combat, as you described. But it was also through fear. And the fear was of not being prepared, meaning that all of a sudden someone would come up behind me and startle me that I didn't see they were there. And I would immediately get upset, not so much at the person, but upset at me because I wasn't ready. And then, you know, I would do things that a lot of us do. And I, I would even submit that you do this too. When we can go into restaurants, we go in there and we look for and identify primary, alternate, and supplementary avenues of approach and we put our back so we can see all of that. My point in all of this is, this is the normal reactions to the abnormal situations we've been involved in. Whether it's in combat, whether it's through an adverse event in life, whatever it is, that's a normal reaction. I mean, I'm a PT and dude, and I'll run down the road, and if a car pulls over on the side of the road, I just immediately take my imaginary M4 and put it in the low ready position, and I'm alert to that. Because I've been accustomed in places like behavior. What's going on? When a car pulls over, it could potentially be a car bomb. That doesn't mean that I'm crazy or I'm paranoid. That means that I'm having normal reactions to the abnormal circumstances I've been through. So finally, the culminating event for me was my wife came to me and we were about eight months out from retirement. And she says, look, uh, maybe it was, it was closer to a year out. And she says, look, in a year, all of this is going to be over. 38 years of active duty, being the SEAC, you know, working with the administration, with Congress, DOD, the services and everything. It's all going to be over and it's going to be you and me. And we can't live like this with you being angry all the time. So initially, I went to therapy to appease my wife. But the minute I got in and met the therapist I had, and I still have to this day, almost a year and a half later, I'm still, I have a therapist I talk to once a week. She, it was like she could read my mind. It felt like she was ripping my head open and uh, examining what was going on in my brain, you know. And so here now, I've always been an advocate to reducing the stigma for seeking help for PTSD or behavioral health or depression or whatever. And now here I had to make an important walk out of that office after I accepted to stay in therapy. And I had to go into the office of probably the most alpha male, the most warrior monk leader this world has ever seen, Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, and tell him I have PTSD. And I have to tell Fighting Joe Dunford, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs Staff, Star General Joe Dunford, that I'm in therapy for PTSD. You talk about, you know, the most intestinal fortitude it took for me to go in and tell those two leaders. And guess what? They were both like, good for you. Keep getting after it. Keep doing you, you know. The point being is, if I wouldn't go in and tell my leaders that it's okay to be in therapy or to seek help and eliminate the stigma, then I, I'm a hypocrite for expecting others throughout the services, our veterans and anybody else to look for help as well. So the bottom line and my message is we got to reduce the stigma for seeking help. And I will tell you, some veterans only need therapy like discussion, like I do. Some may need more. They may need medication. They may need service dogs, whatever. But the bottom line, especially on active duty, leaders have got to eliminate this stigma associated with seeking behavioral health. It is normal in our society. It's scary how many soldiers actually need it and are afraid to go do it because of what they think is going to happen when they get back to the unit. I have discussed that with soldiers 
in my building all the time. And I'm like, look, the bottom line is this. You need to go for your health and your family's, then you need to go. And if you do have stigma, you come tell me. And then I'll call some people I know on base and I'll find out what we can do to, because they should be holding that over you. They, it's not right. And they know that, but they act a certain way because of that, like like Johnson, that alpha male or whatever, they gotta be that whatever. Hey, look, man, I was just, I had a sapper tab, combat, I had combat medic, I got all the whoa stuff you can have in the army, right? Blah, blah, blah. Has nothing to do with it. If my soldier needs help, I want him to get help so he's productive at work. And that's really the mindset leaders have to have. That's gonna make my soldier a better soldier at work than I need. He needs to go to that appointment. He needs to get taught to whoever. I don't need to know about what, but you need to go do it because that way I, need, I got your attention and you're fully functional at work, then go do it. That should be the, uh, the leader's attitude is if it's gonna make you a better soldier, then go do it. If it ain't gonna make you a better soldier, then we'll discuss that. But if you think it's gonna make you a better soldier, better person, then get your ass to that appointment and get back here to work because that's the, and John's right. The attitude of leadership has to be, support that so that because i'm telling you right now all these problems that we run into with soldiers doing all this crazy shit is because leaders aren't being enough proactive enough to say hey you might have ptsd because we went to combat last year and we lost specialist jones and specialist smith they were your battle buddies have you talked to anybody about that i mean we're not doing those lay down type of discussions with soldiers when we get back i remember i got back from multiple to wide deployed six times when i got back once we got back and we finished our, our re reintegration from they kind of just like cut sling on everybody. We all went our own direction for a not leave or whatever. I'm like, whoa. You know, and, I, and from the mental health side of it, I was like, whoa. Maybe we should have sat down and had some platoon level speaking talks about how everybody feeling about the guys we lost over there or the things we saw over there. Why aren't we kind of prepping? Because you're sending me back and that could be a minefield for my family because I might be, I might explode now with my wife or kids where I should have been able to do that with you guys. In a, you know what I'm saying? So leaders out there, just think about that kind of stuff. I know that the op tempo has come down a little bit, but there's still stuff going on and guys are still, guys and gals out there are still dealing with what happened to them. I don't care if it was in 2004, if they're still in the army and they were in Afghanistan in 2004 like I was and all that bad crap happened over Afghanistan and Iraq, they're still dealing with that. They're still in it because they put that uniform every day and they know they can go back there at any time. So they, they're still coping with that. So, hey, John, and I, I will add this to you. That yeah. doesn't take away from the, the warrior mentality we should have. Nope. You, know, you know, a couple of years ago, I called out ISIS and I told the world that, you know, if ISIS has got two options, they can surrender or they can die. OK, and if they surrender, we'll treat them humanely. You know, we'll, we'll feed them, we'll clothe them, we'll give them a place to sleep, we'll give them due process and everything, but let there be no doubt. If they choose not to surrender, then we're going to kill them with extreme prejudice, whether that's dropping bombs, shooting them in the face, or beating them to death with our entrenching tools. And as macho as that may sound, we also have to let macho, as macho the uh, words, I need help have to be. They are... They need to be the same. They go together. Yes. It doesn't mean you're anything less of a warrior because you want to seek help. Hey, go get help. Get the therapy you need. Get back to work because I may need you to kill some more enemy fighters here in the future, okay? And the more you're able to deal with grief, loss, and all these other things, you're going to be that much more an effective warrior putting you back in combat. Without a doubt. I mean, I agree with you 1,000%. because That's what it is. I got back. I was going through therapy after my third deployment where, and it helped me be prepared to go back the fourth time and have to deal with it. And that I was better prepared. And even, I even had therapy over there because I did stuff via phone with my therapist. When I had my welfare calls, I would call her instead of calling my wife. Like, I need to talk to my doc real quick because there's some shit going right ahead. 
<laughs> I told the guys over there, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's what we do, but it makes me a better soldier because now I can let that stuff deal with it there and then I can come out here and be a soldier. So they're married together. In my opinion, that hula mentality and that macho man stuff is still like, hey, after all that's over, I'm going to need to talk to somebody about this because I got to get this stuff under control so it doesn't control me. So that's the biggest thing. So without a doubt. All right, John. So listen, we've been on here for about 45 minutes now or 35 minutes. So now what I want to do at the end here is what I like to do with all my guests is to tell them, hey, what can we do as, as four? as soldiers and veterans that are listening to this podcast, what can we do to help support what you're doing right now? Is there a website we can go to? Is there a Facebook page? Yeah. This is page? So talk to us a little bit about what we can do to help you and push your stuff out. So FitOps Foundation, go to our .org, go to our webpage. If you're a veteran that is looking to get empowered to become a certified veteran fitness operative, or you're looking to support, go to our webpage at FitOps Foundation and either do like you did, you know, place an application in uh, to try and come to one of our camps and get certified and everything. Or if you want to support, go on there and you can see how you can support us. If there's veterans out there that need assistance with their VA home loan, you know, a lot of veterans don't realize about 10% of veterans fully understand the VA home loan process and they don't understand how to use it or anything. So if you want to learn how to use your VA home loan, you want to get educated on it, go to the Veterans Lending Group webpage. We ha- we are an organization that only hires veterans and, and the military family members, and we can educate you and assist you with your VA home loan process. If you're a transition service member or a veteran looking for employment with major corporate America organizations like Microsoft, Comcast, and stuff like that, go to the Hiring Our Heroes webpage under the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and learn how to apply to become part of a transition summit that's coming here. We just did a summit this week in in Europe virtually to help transition service members. And certainly if you're looking to stay in shape or anything and you're looking for assistance, you know, please look at Defend USA, look at Alpha Warrior and FitOps, obviously, on how to get assistance in, in remaining in shape and getting after that physical health that we're all looking for. But the key thing, you know, I am so excited to be part of FitOps and work with Matt Hess that I know you just had on your show. This is one of the things that I am going to be focused on for the remainder of my days, and that's to get after this veteran suicide epidemic and also to provide veterans purpose through uh, transition employment and so that they can continue to, to thrive after service in the military. So, and I know you'll, you'll lay out all of those pages that I just kind of talked out on your show, but please go and support where you can. And in the end, if you're a veteran out there, a transitioning service member or a family member, please reach out for help, okay? We are all in this together. And you may look at John Valentine or John Wayne Troxell and say, well, those guys got it made. They've already been through the process and everything. Hey, we're just experienced because we've been through it. We've had the same challenges as you. So please reach out if you need help. And not only guys like he and I, but thousands of fellow veterans are standing by to assist. And like John said, guys, listen, on our webpage, on our Facebook page, and on his flyer, you'll see all this information. So if you want to figure out, look into this later, that'll all be available on our Facebook page, our website. He's going to be out. Uh, John, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, man. I, I am flabbergasted that I had the most senior enlisted person in the military on my show. And I'm grateful to you for taking the time to be on because I think it's important that soldiers, leaders, and everybody else that is listening knows that all of us, you, me, we're all, we're still that brother and sisterhood. We're still looking out for each other, even though we might not wear that rank anymore, not going to do that. Doesn't mean we stop looking out for each other because that's what we do in the veteran community. We take care of each other. It's still a brother and sisterhood, you know, and it's basically that whole saying, you said my old infantry, 
until Valhalla, brother. And we're just, you know what I'm saying? Until we're all going to be there until we get there together at the end. So thank you again, John, for being on the show. I appreciate you, man. And, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, brother. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone, I'm out of here. Oh,